I'm Akina. And I'm Laurel. And this is Jane Austen Culture Night. In this week's episode, you will find new in-laws, unblushing brides, and Derbyshire. (laughs) There will be spoilers and maybe some cursing. This week we're reading chapters 51 through 52 in Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) Yay. Even though these chapters are filled with annoying people, I still find them so exciting. Yeah, they're fun. The way that they're written, there's a lot of like comic relief uh, and like tension, but it's yeah, yeah, done in a way that you're that is very enjoyable to watch. I feel like Lizzie is in control, even when she feels like she's not. She's like in control these chapters. And so she like has the power because she knows what's going on the most. Yeah, the restraint. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I just. <laughs> yeah, there are moments when I'm like, how is she so calm right now? Yeah. I guess we should describe what is actually happening. Yes, let's talk about it. <laughs> which is that Lydia, it's like, it starts out chapter 51 with Lydia getting married to Wickham. Of course, that's happening, like, off-camera. It's, like... In London. Yeah. I keep wanting to say, like, Jane Krasinski and say, on... (laughs) Off-camera. Camera. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so that's happening in London, and then afterwards, they were going to come and visit the Bennets at Longbourn. And so everyone is, like, waiting for them to show up they're sitting in the breakfast room waiting for Lydia and Wickham to show up. And they all have like different reactions to the arrival of the newlyweds. Mm-hmm. They and they come in basically it, it just the way they describe it is like Lydia like throws open the door and you <laughs> yes. hear her before you see her. And she's like, hello, we're here. <laughs> Yeah, she's very quickly talking about like, oh my gosh, it's been so long since I've been here um, and laughing about the fact that she hasn't been there for a while. And like, then she's telling everyone that they need to congratulate her because she got married. Yes. And she's just having the time of her life, our Lydia. (laughs) And Jane is so embarrassed. Yes. (laughs) She's mortified. So it seems like all of the sisters are just a little bit freaked out and like uh, mortified. I feel like probably Kitty would be less mortified than like I would say a Mary and and Lizzie. But even Jane is just like appalled at the situation and can't find a good way to spin it. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is when you know it's bad. <laughs> um, and Mr. Bennett is just like, it seems like he's like pale and ashen faced and just like so shocked at like how his daughter is behaving. Yeah. And he doesn't say anything, but he seems yes. he seems very cold. Yeah. The, the only one who is at Lydia's level is Mrs. Bennett, who's just completely 
shameless in the whole thing. Yeah, she's very excited. Um, the whole thing gets so overwhelming that Elizabeth runs out of the room at a certain point. Yeah, she can't even stand to be in the room. Yeah, because Lydia's just boasting about showing off her ring while she was driving in the carriage on the way there. And Elizabeth is just like, what is happening? Oh, my God. There's that funny. This is what I mean about like Jade or what you were saying, too, about how these these even though it's really uncomfortable, it's so enjoyable. Like when Lydia starts talking about like, oh, I I wonder if everybody in town knows that I'm married. I really want them to know. And you're thinking, of course, they know, Lydia. This is like a huge scandal. (laughs) Yeah, it's like with all the gossip you like to do girl how do you not see that this is like what's going on how do you not see how this is reflecting on you yeah oh yeah because you're 16 (laughs) it's just so funny and then she's talking about how you know she can get all of her sisters married if they come and stay with her then she'll get them all husbands i just I feel like this is the very extra version of like my own embarrassing teenage moments where yeah oh my god remember back in the day like glitter eyeshadow was really popular <laughs> it would be like this like pot that you would buy at like CVS and it would be like a gel filled with glitter like the and roll-on s- glitter or or sometimes it would just look kind of like a lip gloss like a pot of lip gloss but it would oh, be yeah, yeah, yeah. like a gel. a gel yeah and then I just like smear it all over my eyes and <laughs> and just think I was the coolest. Yeah. <laughs> and just like being like, this is kind of like that. <laughs> Where you're like, I'm so cool. Look at me. Uh, oh. Yeah, um, but we yeah. can we can forgive Lydia some of her like stuff for the fact that she's 16 but mrs bennett is like in this delusion as well yes yeah and um yeah and lydia's even like you should send when i'm up in newcastle you should send all my sisters to me and i'll make sure they get married and mrs bennett is like that's a great idea and um (laughs) Elizabeth is like, yeah, I don't like your way of getting husbands. She says right. that out loud, which is I know. nice. Um, uh, this is also a time where Elizabeth can kind of like watch Lydia and Wickham together. And she yes. says she thinks that Wickham doesn't care for Lydia as much as Lydia cares for him. And that she just like, he essentially kind of admitted that he needed to like leave because he owed so much money and Mm -hmm. the fact that Lydia was willing to go with him he wasn't going to turn that down right he likes like companionship but he um it wasn't his idea to like run away because they're so in love with each other yeah yeah then it ends with a cliffhanger because Lydia corners Elizabeth and is like, oh, I didn't tell you, like, what happened when we got married. And Elizabeth yeah. is like, I don't want to know. And Lydia's <laughs> like, ha you're so silly. I'm going to tell you. Yeah. 
And she talks about how she like went to stay with her aunt and uncle. And then her aunt just kept being such a bore and like giving her all these sermons. And Lydia's just like rolling her eyes, getting ready to be married. And Mm -hmm. then they show up at the church. And who is there, Laurel? (gasps) Mr. Darcy. Mr. Darcy was at their wedding. And so, uh, and yeah, she tells him that and, and Elizabeth is shocked. She's like, what? Why is Mr. Darcy at your wedding? And then she's like, oh, oops, I wasn't supposed to say anything. It was supposed to be a big secret. Um, so yeah, so now Elizabeth's like freaking out. Why was he there? What is the meaning of this? And, uh, you know, she's like, okay, well, if it's a secret, don't tell me. And uh, but then she immediately goes to write to her aunt, Mrs. Gardner, and be like, what the heck is this all about? (laughs) Please tell me. Yeah. Well, Jane was sitting there and Jane was really the one that was like, was like, you know what? If it was a secret, you shouldn't say anything and we won't ask any more questions. And Elizabeth's like, yeah, we won't. But in her mind, she was like, (laughs) burning with curiosity. And um. I just have to mark, again, I'm a little bit of a Jane hater, but, like, (laughs) Jane really did a disservice to Elizabeth. Jane knows that Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy, like, maybe there's something going on there. Like, she doesn't know that Elizabeth likes Mr. Darcy, but she knows about the proposal and everything. And I feel like to be a good sister, she should have, like, not been so uptight she should have like been like she should have been a little bit of a wig man yes just try and get a little more information like she should have been aware of that situation but it seems like jane is just trying to be like uh uh, do the right thing like be like what is the moral thing to do here and in this whole situation she's very uncomfortable yes (laughs) yeah but i just feel like it's a little I almost feel like this is an instance of the morals getting in the way of doing the right thing or something. Right. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you have to be there for your sister. She's done so much for you. Um, anyway, so she, so Elizabeth ends up writing. She's very smart. She writes a letter to Mrs. Gardner saying like, I like, there's something going on. Mr. Darcy was there. I don't understand it. Like, um, like I know this is supposed to be a secret, but if you at all possible can tell me what's going on, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah. And then Mrs. Gardner sends back a very lengthy, amazing letter to Elizabeth basically explaining everything that happened. And first of all, she is shocked that Lizzie had no idea that Darcy was there. She's like, we never would have guessed that at least you wouldn't know what was going on. And so we're so surprised that you're like in the dark about this, but okay, let's fill you in on what's going on. And so she tells her that the day after they left, oh, oh, just a quick note. My my friend in the UK, Claire, taught me the correct pronunciation. 
of the town in which Darcy lives. So it's it's like Darby, like Darcy. So you say Darby. And then the the Shire part, she said it's kind of like you're saying share, but with a uh, English accent and almost like you're a little bit drunk. So like share, like Derbyshire, Derbyshire, Derbyshire. Okay. Your face is so funny right now. (laughs) I feel like I could just watch you say that. Derbyshire, Derbyshire. (laughs) Okay, Claire, uh, text me and let me know how I did. Okay, so the day... so Lizzie and the gardeners leave Derbyshire and they and the, the very next day, Darcy also leaves. And oh, he, yeah. To go to, to London, to go to London, because he thinks he might know where Wickham is, or he, at least he's going to start searching for them. And um, we find out that he knows a woman, Mrs. Young, who was Georgiana's governess, who apparently aided Wickham and Georgiana when they ran away. And so he goes to her first and it takes him like three days to wear her down and bribe her probably. And eventually she gives up Wickham. And so he finds out where they are. And um, he goes to see uh, the Mr. Gardner, the uncle, and like lets them know the situation. He has to go and negotiate with Wickham basically uh, to get um, him to marry her. He first tries to persuade Lydia to leave. He basically yeah. says, like, let's get out of here. I'll help you. I'll take care of stuff. Like, don't stay with this man. And, you know, let's take get you back to your family and we'll figure things out. Um, but she says, no, she wants to stay with Wickham. She won't leave him. So then, like, the next scenario is, okay, so then you need to get married. And so then he eventually persuades Wickham to marry her. There's negotiations back and forth. And, you know, we assume that he's come up with some sum (laughs) that is eventually agreed upon. You know, Wickham wants more than he could get, they say in the letter, but eventually uh, is reasonable. So they agree to get married. And um, Darcy basically pays for everything he works out the whole situation the uncle is like protesting like this is my niece i should be the one to do it and darcy won't hear it he's like no let me do it and the explanation he gives is that because this is my fault because i knew what wickham was all about he's done this before and i could have warned people to what his character was and um so then they would have known to stay away from him and this wouldn't have happened so this is my responsibility i want to take care of it um but they also say that you know we wouldn't have let him do this if we didn't also think that he had another motive yes (laughs) hint hint he's in love with our other niece (laughs) yeah mrs gardner says like she thought that lizzie and mr darcy were maybe like 
she says like maybe like secretly engaged or something and so lizzie knows and maybe sent mr darcy down and he's just like coming up with this excuse about mr wickham or maybe he like really believes that but he also is just trying to preserve the honor of the family because he's about to be married to lizzie yeah um and she's just like yeah so she's I, oh, sorry. I also want to just point out that she sends this letter like ASAP. So yeah. right after Elizabeth sends her the a letter asking for any information, Mrs. Gardner does her a real solid by sending a really long explanation as soon as possible. So mm-hmm. Lizzie doesn't have to go like one more day just being confused about all of this situation. Yeah. I was thinking about that, too, about how in these novels, just the drama of waiting for a letter. Yes. <laughs> it heightens all of these uh, experiences because you're just in this state of like, what's happening? I ha- I'm waiting for news. You're always waiting for news. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think that's like most of the letter uh except mrs gardner has a little point at the very end which is again just so delicious where she says you know like um mr darcy was like so so helpful and i have to say like my opinion of him is just um risen so high over the past week or two and i just want to say that like the only defect i would find in his character is that he is like not very lively but if he does a good job (laughs) marrying hint hint (laughs) his wife may teach him to be a little bit more lively and um (laughs) he's and uh she says at the very end, she just says, like, forgive me if this is going too far, but I just want to say that all I would like is to be able to go back to Pemberley, put me in a little carriage with a couple little ponies and let me go around the (laughs) park and I would be the happiest woman. So (laughs) a low fake town with a nice little pair of ponies (laughs) to go around the whole park of Pemberley. Yeah, and then she's like, okay, I got to go. My kid is, like, crying. Um, she has, like, four kids or she something. Does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know she has nannies and shit, but, like, yeah, I'm sure she has a lot on her plate. So yeah. she's, like, actually a mom on, like, Mrs. Bennett. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. so Mrs. – so she – so Elizabeth is just, like – she has so many thoughts about this letter. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We get some good revelations in this letter, too, about how she also confirms, like, in one area about Wickham's, like, why he would have do- done this. And she confirms that, yeah, he was obliged to leave the regiment on account of some debts of honor, which were very pressing. So we know he fled because of the debts. And scrupled not to lay all the ill consequences of Lydia's flight on her own folly alone. So he's like taking no responsibility for the fact that she, in his words, just followed him and just wanted to come along. And um, so it's not his fault that she's in this situation. Um, Yeah. And I also love the part where uh, she talks about 
how Darcy's true defect is obstinacy. Yes. <laughs> because he wouldn't hear about Mr. Gardner uh, doing any of the arrangements or paying for anything. Like he had to do it all himself. Yeah. And um, I feel like that just shows like what a terrible person Wickham is. Because if you were like, like, say you were a decent guy, but you were like a little bit flirty and then you like need to go somewhere or leave something or move. And then the 16 year old wants to follow you. You'd be like, no. Right. <laughs> like, all you have if to say is no. <laughs> yeah. You would say like, hey, like this would ruin your like, I don't. Yeah, you'd be like, I don't actually want to marry you, and this would um, destroy your reputation. Right. So, oh yeah, and there's back. one part where she says, like, well, why didn't he just marry her? I know she's not, you know, like, once he was in this situation, the smart thing would have been to just marry her. She's not the richest, but like, they could have done something. And he yeah. was in a desperate situation, so yes. you, like, that would that would have gotten him out of his desperate situation. But then she says, no, he found in reply in reply to this question that Wickham still cherished the hope of more effectually making his fortune by marriage in some other country. So he was convinced that he could still go somewhere where he wasn't known yet, start over and con some other rich woman into marrying him. Yes. And in my footnotes, it says that by some other country it means like some other part of the country that's what i was thinking yeah yeah so darcy like i think darcy figured that out by talking to him that yeah yes. wickham was just like yeah i want to go marry some other rich broad essentially like who actually has money i'm like this like penniless 16 year old who's attached herself to me right and it's just yeah it's bananas but anyway i'm sure we'll talk about that again but um, so she's sitting there reading this letter, going over all of her feelings about it, just thinking like, well, can't Mr. Darcy like, like Mr. Darcy must have done this because, because he really did feel responsible about Wickham, but could right. there be like any possibility that like he would do it because of me like is anything in this true yeah but also like she he really can't marry me now because like then Wickham would be his brother-in-law right yeah I think she's still in she's she's marveling at like how could this man stand to even be involved in this situation where he's having to negotiate with such a person and like officiated his wedding and like help him and do all of these things it's so disgusting and and yet she doesn't dare to hope she's still in that state of like she can't bring herself to think that it might be because he still likes her because it's impossible and she doesn't want to get her hopes up again and like yeah just yeah and it's like, it's not only did he have to bribe and pay Wickham, who he hates more than anyone in this world. Yeah. He also had to bribe and pay that fucking governess who oh, like almost, yes. who like did sell his little sister off to Wickham. 
Right. And was covering for them. And, like, his little sister was just, like, a few hours away from, like, essentially being kidnapped. Yeah. And uh, he has to pay this lady off, this asshole he's, like, has to spend time with uh, for three days. And Elizabeth is just, like, marveling at that. And um, she's also, she says, I love this line where it says, she heartily grieved over every saucy speech she had ever directed (laughs) towards him. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Uh, Uh, And she was also, she's proud of him. Oh my God, I love that. She's proud of Mr. Darcy. I highlighted that where she says, I'm proud of him. I was like, oh. (laughs) Because she, it says proud that in a cause of compassion and honor, he had been able to get the better of himself. Yeah. Oh, she was so, and she was so happy that her aunt loves him. Yeah. Woo. And then in the middle of all of these reflections that she's having, Wickham walks over and interrupts her. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, she deliberately went to like a little like hideaway part in their like extensive backyard, like under some trees. So she could like have some moments to herself to read this letter. (laughs) And then fucking Wickham <laughs> appears. What does he say? <laughs> Such an asshole. Yeah, he's like, I am afraid to interrupt your solitary ramble, my dear sister. And she, oh my God, this interaction is amazing. Priceless. Priceless. Because <laughs> she's being like friendly, but kind of cold and all and like, She's doing that thing where she's like, I don't want to start a thing, but I want you to know <laughs> that I'm not falling for your bullshit. And uh, so, you know, she's like, oh, you know, it's fine. You know, we're uh, brother and sister now. Isn't that weird? Hmm. And he starts talking about, oh, I uh, I heard that you were at Pemberley. Is that so? And she's like, yes. And He's like, uh, he he mentions Mrs. Reynolds and he's like, oh, but you probably didn't see her. And Lizzie's the like, housekeeper. Yeah, I did. the housekeeper. He's like, yeah, I did actually. And uh, he's like, oh, well, I'm sure she didn't mention me. And she's like, actually, she did. And he's like, oh, really? And Lizzie's like, yeah. And uh, she said that you had joined the army and you hadn't turned out well. <laughs> yeah she throws in that line of like but you know at such a distance things can be misrepresented which is such like an amazing line it's such a it's like it's such a dig at him about the way that he has been misrepresenting Darcy and his story um but it also in this conversation it it comes off as like I'm letting him save face and not like causing a scene um yeah it's so amazing yeah she he yeah because he's he's like mrs reynolds a housekeeper said i always i was always a great favorite of hers and she was like yeah she said you are an asshole or like she said you're a bum essentially right but you know like she probably doesn't know the whole story right yeah and then he even goes Uh, Starts talking about, oh, I I think he's trying to um, still get her like on his side and like remind her of the story and like 
and get her her in on his version of events. And so he's reminding her of the part. Oh, did you go near Kimpton? And that's where the parsonage was that that was the living that I was supposed to get. And it would have been great. And Elizabeth starts questioning him about that. Like, "Hmm, how would you have liked to do that? Would you have liked to give sermons? And like, you know, and then eventually she reveals like, I actually heard that you turned down the living. And, uh, you know, she keeps catching him in these lies. Yeah. 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 He also mentioned like oh um and you were did you like I got to see Darcy in town were you did you see him at in Lambden when you were visiting which is right near um Pemberley where Mr. Darcy lives and Elizabeth's like yeah we saw Mr. Darcy there and he introduced us to his sister and Wickham, of course, has told her that his, the sister is like a frigid bitch, essentially. Right. And and uh, and he's like, oh, so did you like his sister? And Elizabeth's like, yeah, his sister's the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then Wickham's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I've heard that she has improved over the last year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, It's so crazy. Yeah. But then they're talking about Kim. Kimpton and they're saying like yeah that that like she's basically saying like I know you turned down that it wasn't taken away from you yeah and then when he starts to try and spin it he's like trying to cut you know his wheels are turning he's trying to spin it and she's like but let's not quarrel like don't worry about it you know we're brother and sister now it's all water under the bridge and then like basically shuts it down um yeah. yeah, it says in in Elizabeth says in future, I hope we shall always be of one mind. And then she held out her ki- hand and he kissed it with affectionate gallantry, though he hardly knew how to look. And they entered the house. Yeah, <laughs> I just have the like I can almost see them just like Elizabeth, like speed walking towards the house and towards other people because she doesn't want to be talking with him anymore right right but then but she's like she's like well i'm done and she's like we're done oh my god i love the part where she um she also talks he oh he says i was surprised to see darcy in town last month which of course is when he discovers Seeing Darcy in town is when Darcy yeah. comes and discovers them in London. Yeah. And he's like, I wonder what he was doing there. Just walking right into it, Wickham. And then she goes, perhaps uh, preparing for his marriage to Mr. Burke. <laughs> Elizabeth is so quick. Oh, it's so funny. It's like, it's like I know he went there as Spreadsley to, like, bribe you into marrying my little sister, you <laughs> asshole. Like, come on. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh. She's such a dum-dum. He, like, really... He really thinks he can just smile his way through anything. He doesn't know who he's dealing with. Yeah. He doesn't realize how smart Elizabeth is. Yes. Like if he knew how smart she was, he would have stayed away from her and never gone to talk with her at all. I think so. Yeah. He thought she was like an easy mark and just very amusing. And in the beginning, when she was willing to 
you know, maybe he perceived her. I, she she told him very early on that she didn't like Darcy. And so that was his in, you know, and he was able yeah. to use that. Um, and but then once that cloud has, you know, uh, dissipated, then, uh, yeah, he's in trouble. <laughs> yeah, it's. um, Yeah, he's really a bonehead. He's just like, it's just like, come on, dude. You should have. You should know better. Right. She's she's too smart for you. Just like give up. Um, yeah. This is. I feel like the highlight for me of these chapters is Mrs. Gardner's letter. Just it's so good. Just like I said before, the quickness and and the length of the letter was perfect. Mm-hmm. Um. Need, like gently needling her um her niece is just adorable. I'm just so glad Elizabeth has Mrs. Gardner in her life. Yeah. yeah. She's the auntie that like I feel like everyone needs. I'm like, where's my Mrs. Gardner? <laughs> She's so good. And she describes the one part where um so we get this account from Lydia of how the wedding went and we kind of hear her version of events and Lydia starts talking about how Mrs. Gardner has been, was like lecturing her and it was so boring. And then in Mrs. Gardner's letter, we get how Mrs. Gardner's trying to talk to Lydia and like, be like, do you understand that this is a big deal and that your family is freaking out right now? And this is, you know, really serious and uh Lydia just won't even hear it and Mrs. Gardner is saying like you know it I guess uh Lizzie had written when she wrote to Mrs. Gardner she had talked about Lydia's behavior at home and so she's like well it won't I wouldn't say anything except that you're already experiencing the same thing (laughs) at your house as like yeah I was very displeased with Lydia's behavior (laughs) when I saw her yeah and even yeah, it seems like even Jane complained to Mrs. Gardner about Lydia's behavior. And yeah. it's just like, if Lydia was that bad to make Jane complain to someone else, yes. like, that is shocking. It, yes, Jane, even Jane has hit her breaking point here. She's like, this, no, <laughs> this is bad. When I just find there's some aspect of this, like, kind of shocking, and I don't really understand which is that, so Lydia and Wickham ran away together. Yes. And at first they thought, at first it seems like Lydia thought she would probably go to Scotland and get married. And then Wickham was like, you know what, we should go to London. And Lydia was like, fine. Yeah. And so they were like living together for like a couple of weeks yeah. before, um, before anyone found them. So does this mean like, Essentially, they were living in sin for a little while. Yeah. And so the presumption is that Lydia is not a virgin by the time they got married, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm assuming. And and I think, and and even if it's not true, that's what everybody else is, <laughs> is going to assume too. And that's why they're like, you have to get married. Yeah. I just feel like my assumptions of this time period and these 
people, it's like you would think that she would that Lydia herself would see the seriousness of the situation. Like it's still like really shocking to me that and I know it's supposed to be shocking, but it is like really shocking that Lydia has a doesn't immediately go with Mr. Darcy when he offers her a way out. I I think like I could very easily see, especially at 16 and because of who Lydia is and what we've seen of her character as her being very ready to believe Wickham, it, it, it keeps stalling of like, oh, we can't get married yet because yeah. of this or there's this complication or, you know, and just drawing it out. And and also being convinced to like, yeah, let's just uh, have some fun. We're going to get married anyway. So what's the yeah, big deal? That's her you know idea. Mean? Yeah. Her idea is like we're going to get married really soon. So it's fine. Right. But you just it just feels like there is this. I don't know. I feel like I'm just articulating this for the first time. So it's kind of rough. But like she's. This just feels so incongruous from like other aspects of the book where it's like you can't be like you can't really talk alone with a man that's you're right. not related to or, you know, like there's such rigid ideas about propriety and like who can write a letter to whom because right. like, right, you know, you can't just like have that much correspondence between people of the opposite sex. And then it's like, oh, yeah, but she like ran yeah, Lydia just, like, ran away to bang this asshole. Yeah. Well, we see Lydia pushing these boundaries throughout the whole book. And the the idea that Mrs. Bennett has just let, let, let these things go unchecked. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, like, the way that she behaves at the ball, dancing with all of the officers, the fact that she was allowed to go to Brighton... <laughs> without proper supervision um yeah 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 it's just um and and she like went to she went to Meriton all the time to just see the officers and visit with them and flirt with them right and I yeah I don't know I feel like I can see um it's like I can see it and I can't see it at the same time where I'm like, oh, yeah, that like her going to Meriton and just like instead of like staying home and studying, but like essentially go. I just picture it as like I always picture everything in the 90s, I guess. But just like <laughs> just thinking about like her going to the mall to like walk around and like yeah. gaze at all the boys. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I like I feel like I did some we were just texting this morning about like how like I thought some guy was cute when I was 16 (laughs) and would just like go like watch (laughs) we just watch him hang out at his store and like I'm like I'm like I could see that happening but that seems like such a reach but of course it's also not because like I don't know yeah it's um it I think it's really hard to to look at this and you know from a modern lens mm-hmm. and try it really and, is. and try and parse it out because on the one hand 
you're like, Lydia, this is so stupid. Like, what are you doing? And then on the other hand, you're like, well, yeah, girl, if you were in the 90s or in the, you know, modern day time, like, go flirt with some boys. It's totally fine. Like, we don't have the same rigid um, social boundaries in the same way. And so it's that's why Lydia is a complicated complicated character to read now because it's like okay you've gotten yourself into this situation it you know she's young you want to feel bad for her and yet her character the way she acts makes it impossible to feel bad for her and yeah. then if you talk about how like you know she she's like if you talk about her responsibility in getting to this place, it feels like slut shaming. It feels like blaming the victim. And yet at the same time, you're like, Lydia, stop being so stupid. <laughs> so, or at yeah. least the fact, I think it's, it's not about being stupid. Cause like she's young. She doesn't know any better. Like her parents should have, you know, really checked some of this stuff and, I, and I know Lizzie and Jane tried to, right? But yeah. she wouldn't listen to them. Um, but just like the shamelessness, I think, after the fact of the way that yes. she is acting and not understanding the gravity of the situation, not just for her. It's like, fine, if you don't understand why this is bad for you now, like you will someday. Yeah. Um, but the fact that she doesn't understand how her actions are affecting the whole family and affecting other people, even even if we were like, okay, we can get over the fact that you're living in sin with this man. Even just like your parents don't know where you are for two weeks. Like we have yeah. no idea what's happened to you, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, or a month. It's been like a month now almost. It's just going back and forth. So um, I feel like I've talked about this before, just how like Andrew and I had like a kind of a weird situation where we were like matched through the church by our parents mm -hmm. but they didn't know that we like essentially that we like secretly already liked each other and so yeah. very quickly we were like Andrew and I were like making out as soon as like we were alone and like devising all these different ways to like spend one-on-one -on -one time together in ways that were like not okay by the church and so mm -hmm. we did like so we had this like kind of secret life going on while we were while we were, had like a church sanction matching but like the right. matching in the church is supposed to be so chaste like you're not yeah. even you're not supposed to like hold hands even and like it's it, yeah it's just considered like um it's just considered like a time period where you're like officially like on paper Matt like engaged but like nothing physical is supposed to happen at all yeah. until you get married through the blessing so mm -hmm. setting the stage but I just remember like when Andrew and I like started to be matched I just remember being like oh I was like absolutely by the book church sanctioned like had a church sanctioned life for almost two decades or for two decades of my life. I was like 
I like had this like blemish free, if you want to go by their like stupid purity <laughs> standards, like blemish free existence. Yeah. And then like, it's been like three weeks and I essentially like gave everything up. I was just like, I was just so <laughs> surprised at the speed of which like, I was like, oh, like, like I transgressed this way and that way and the other way and just like knocking down all these like <laughs> transgressions, like, like a footballer go I don't watch football but I just mentioned like some like football player just like storming down the field just like knocking people over left and right and I was like oh that happened like very quickly where I just like kind of was like gave up everything because I I felt like in my head I in my head I knew like how much trouble I would be in if like any of this was found out Mm -hmm. um and I I knew the stakes and I also had seen some of my other, like I'd seen more than one friend like go, like, I don't know how to phrase it. Like essentially um, get physical with a guy in the church who like promised that they would get blessed too. And then like it fell apart and then they're like supposedly like now a tarnished yeah reputation and like that happened too yeah it's like I saw that happen and I was just like oh yeah those are I was I knew how like I knew the chances were not good that this would work out but I was like still like you know what I'm gonna do this anyway (laughs) and uh it somehow worked out for us but right yeah, so I do understand with Lydia where it's like she like spent all that time flirting or like and that felt like that feels very different from like actually running away with a guy and not getting married, but like yeah. I could I also you see, could see how, that, how that would how making that jump wouldn't be such like a huge thing. Yeah. For her maybe in that moment. Yeah. Um and yeah, for her I mean she really does think they're going to get married. So I think that's definitely part of her naivete there. But it's, uh, and it's also, you know, part of the hard thing about this is like, we know that Lydia's wrong in a sense, but we also are looking at it from the modern way. We're like, we're, this whole society is wrong. This whole system yes. is wrong. <laughs> and then, so it's like, you want to critique that too. And unfortunately, even if the system's wrong, if you break the rules within the system, like you're going to get punished by them. Doesn't matter if that's wrong or not, you know. And not only you get punished, but your whole family gets punished. Yeah, which yeah. sucks. Yeah, like like if if Darcy didn't know what was going on, and this happened to Wicca, uh, this happened to Lydia, and there was no one to kind of save her, then like none of her sisters would be able to get married. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you just think about like what could happen if, well, and I mean, Jane Austen uh, points to this in her other novels, like in sense and sensibility, like spoiler alert, <laughs> we'll probably do that one eventually. Like the Wickham S character in that, like yeah. you see the results of what happens there when like, you know, Lydia could very well be, you know, when when Wickham figures out a way out of this and flees, like he could just leave her there. And I she'd mean, be on, 
Yeah, even what we talked about in last week's episode where, like, there's a line about, like, how the townspeople were like, so is Lydia going to have to become a prostitute now? Like, that was, like, actually what people thought. Yeah, because, like, oh, because your family has to disown you, so you're not going to have any other, and and nobody else is going to want to marry you now, so that's your only option, I guess. Yeah. Yeah crazy yeah oh thanks for letting me talk that out i feel like now i feel so much closer to lydia i'm like oh yeah i could have <laughs> been that because i do see her as like yeah like a church girl that's like not it might not have been me at 16 it was me at 20 but like yeah. but like i feel like 16 was around the time where uh i feel like there started to be a few like church matchings especially of like of trying to cut there were a few that were like trying to cover up this this like a teens that had been caught making out or worse yeah and it was like it yeah didn't work out and a lot of the time and people had to grapple especially with the girls of like being like now like like not pure which meant like then if you were gonna ever get matched again later you had to go through like special rituals or like apparently like if you were gonna go to the a matching you like your name card would have like a red dot on it or something like the scarlet letter yes Can you yeah. imagine, like, walking around a room filled with, like, all these peers, like, everyone you grew up with, oh my and God. your fucking name tag has to have, like, a red dot on it. Like, so this gross. Office Max version of a, like, <laughs> scarlet, a scarlet letter. letter. <laughs> uh, it's bad. And, like, oh. I, I, I can feel for Lydia knowing that she's 16, even... Even the way that she's behaving here, just being like, oh, honey, like someday you're going to wake up and it's going to be so bad. I mean, she wasn't parented at all. No. I Yeah. I mean, maybe not. Maybe, you know, there's a fan fiction out there where Lydia and Wickham are ju- just become like notorious He's off at war doing his thing, and Lydia takes a bunch of her own lovers, and she like I love that for her. <laughs> you know, that's that's the best case scenario. <laughs> I feel like what I'm getting from most of our episodes is that you need to write all these fan fiction novels. <laughs> I think I do, <laughs> and I will read them. Uh, it it does. I mean, not to keep connecting everything to the church, but. I remember hearing from my mom like several times growing up how she would be like angry with other church parents because she would say like some people in the church think that because you get like your generation, my generation was born into the church, which according to church doctrine meant that people like you and me who were born to parents in the church were like pure, like extra pure I'm born without original sin. And so we were called blessed children, blah, blah, blah. But she was like, people think that blessed children, like, because you're born without original sin are like perfect and don't need to be parented. Yeah. And she was like, they thought like that, like as a parent, you can't tell a blessed child to do something 
um, because they're in a better position spiritually than you. I've heard that too, that like some yeah. people actually parented that way or that's how like the true children, that's how Reverend Moon's uh, children were parented of like, they were basically, their parents weren't around ever and members had to raise them, but then members were always afraid to like discipline yeah. those kids because that, because these, these were like the special children and they're at a higher spiritual level. And so like, these kids are just running around with no, absolutely no discipline or guidance or like real love either because. Yeah. 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 And that feels like a little bit the like, same kind of leniency that like Mrs. Bennett ends up having for like Olivia or Kitty right. where it's just like, yeah, go do whatever. Like, I'm yeah. not going to stop you. Like. Yeah, I was, ba- yeah, it's like coming from a different place, which basically feels like, I don't know, not to shame teen moms, but it feels like um, Mrs. Bennett was quite young when she had her own kids. So mm. it feels like she very much just relates to them as like a sister, not a mom. Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's heartbreaking. Oh, Lydia. It also reminds me the the experience of Mrs. Bennett and Lydia, the way that they're reacting to this whole situation and the way that Mrs. Bennett just flips on a dime to like, now they're married, everything's fantastic. And then she like rewrites in her mind, like she just forgets the part where she was laid up in bed worried about her daughter <laughs> and, yeah. and her husband and her whole family and and everything's fine. It just reminds me of like how easily, um, you know, in the church, it was like you'd find out the shocking news of like some scandal or something. But then it was spun and then everybody would just accept it. I'd be like, oh, but there's this providential reason. And that's why this had to happen. And and then people would just be like, oh, OK, yeah. And that's how it's always been. And we'll <laughs> Even though it completely contradicts all of the things that you're supposedly believe in. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like there's not a lot of emotional consistency in that family. Yeah. Or Mrs. Bennett has like um, trouble regulating her emotions. I think Mm. my therapist might say. (laughs) For sure. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's so quick to um you're right. She is so quick to like accept a new narrative. Mhm. And um that's definitely also a church trait. You're right. Right. I haven't thought of it like that. And I was thinking about this after the last episode too when we were getting so frustrated at Jane. Mm-hmm. And I I think it's tied in with this experience. Like, I know I've had this experience with first gen or other people who like when they get so shocked when something happens, they're like, what? How could how could this bad thing happen? How could this thing? And and you're sitting there like angry at the fact that they're shocked because you're like, what? Haven't you been paying attention? This actually makes total sense. (laughs) <laughs> and it's so infuriating that yeah. you're com- so oblivious that now you're shocked. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was I was thinking about f- first generation, which is what we call people that join the church as adults. So people like our parents 
um, where I feel like I still have trouble with them today. Like I, I see a lot of first gen still around in my life because they're my, not that I talk to my parents, but they're like my husband's parents or like my friend's parents or people I've known since birth. Yeah. That I call aunt and uncle. Um, and still, because yeah. it's weird not to now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'll see them at like baby birthday parties or or, yeah. or weddings or a random or what is it? I want to say football Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> football Sunday. <laughs> because that's Sunday. the only time of the year we actually watch football. The one because sometimes stuff. there's a Budweiser commercial with <laughs> horses in it. <laughs> Although this year it was just one horse and the horse like appeared injured. Um, and it was sad and I did not like that. I want the ones with the doggies and the horses, please, next year. Yeah. I heard the commercials were not good this year. I mean, I didn't that's, even watch. I didn't watch most of them, though, but I did <laughs> try and watch that one. It wasn't as good. Um, uh, okay. So, like, I feel like with uh, church people, like you were saying, like, you have to swallow this narrative in, only, in order to spend time together. Yeah. And you can't, there's, like, immense pressure not to, um, not to, like, break. Pop that bubble. <laughs> yeah, not to, like, not to, like kind of break the narrative or question the narrative or anything. And so there has to be this like smiling and nodding of this narrative that like everyone's accepted. And even like right now, it feels like say you go to a wedding or you go to a football Sunday, (laughs) you see people, they say, hi, they're very excited to see you like church parents. And they're like, and they ask you how you're doing and, stuff and it's all very nice yeah but under current the undercurrent of that is like hey you participated in raising me in a very abusive cult and we're (laughs) not gonna talk about that you're gonna just like ask me like how my doggies are doing and like ask me if I'm like if I've seen this new tv show and yeah there's something about that where it feels like it just feels like my whole life I had to um, go along with this narrative and it wasn't a choice for me for a long time and now even that when I'm out I feel like this is in my life now it feels like the only time where like I I really am not welcome to say what I think mm. is like in these social situations um, where we just have to pretend that like we had like a great childhood and there's nothing like Right, because it all worked out in the end, Akina. It all worked out, so it was all worth it. Yeah, (laughs) it's like a, can't we just, yeah, can we move on? Yes, they literally (laughs) said, like, why doesn't Akina just, like, um, like, move on from the past? And it's like, well, was there any, like, truth and reconciliation movement happening? Like, (laughs) did anyone ever, like, for me, I feel like no first gen has ever said anything any apology even like um hey you know what i remember at camp like we were kind of like strict like i'm really sorry about that Mm -hmm. like there were 
not not like not even a two second milk toast apology right has ever been given and so i just feel like now i'm just like full of rage talking about <laughs> jane austen but i'm like i'm like there, it's just a situation where you just have to if you're gonna go there and be around these people it feels like you either need to sit and take it or you need to like kind of like blow up and like ha- like um yeah. be accused of being like a ungenerous unkind person right um in the middle of someone's baby shower which is like <laughs> also kind of rough and so what i'm saying is when lizzie just had to sit and watch wow. like her whole family just pretend that um everything was fine in chapter 51 and then she ended up getting up and running i've right. been there i once yeah. like sh- showed up at a bridal shower dropped off my present realized that it was like all first gen and like <laughs> some bcs and like i like just like kind of went through the front door said hi to everyone dropped off my present pretend i forgot something in my car went out the back door and just like disappeared <laughs> i like ran, i had actually been dropped off so i pretended that i needed something for my car and i just like ran out the door down the block and then called andrew to come get me <laughs> so yeah. um and i did that at like a church event once when we were it was like a really, I don't know, it was one of these weird holidays that they made up that you were like, everybody has to go to it. It's going to be great. And like, Miles was a baby. And we had driven, it was like in New York or something. And so we had driven at least 45 minutes to get there. And we walked in and like said hi to people, saw people. And like, it just like the thing started. And I was like, I don't like it. It's weird. And we kind of looked at each other and were like, can we get out of here? And he's like, yeah, let's go. So, you know, when you have a baby, you can kind of like make it. Yes, it's like, oh, I... the baby's crying. And we just left. I was like, I was like, never again. Don't take it. Let's not go to these ever again. I mean, because ho- church holidays are not actually holidays. Like, no. I feel like uh outsiders don't realize how lucky they have it with (laughs) holidays being like fourth of july like let's look at fireworks and eat hot dogs it's not a celebration it's it's another reason to wake up at five in the morning and read holy texts which are really boring and badly translated and probably didn't make any sense in the first place but because they're translated you're like oh they don't make sense because they're translated not because the guy was an asshole and an idiot Um, so then you do that for a while and then you go to like a room that's too crowded and like humid because there's too many people stuffed in there and there's like babies crying and then someone reads more holy text and then maybe there's like a cake or some pyramid of fruit, but then there's like so many people you get like a tiny slice of dry cake. Yeah. 
and then you're like tired because you want to go to bed, but it's like 1 p.m. by now. <laughs> or you're uh, even if it's at like a nice place and it's supposed to be like a really fancy event, there's going to be a lineup of like 10 speakers. And then those <gasps> yes. 10 speakers are introduced by somebody else. It's like, oh, here's here's a person. And then you realize that person is just there to introduce the next person. And then that person introduces the next person. <laughs> but they all take like... Like 10 minutes and you're like when do we actually who's actually talking here why are we just introducing a whole chain of people and if it's like super fancy it means you're like sitting down on fan like uncomfortable chairs and watching people who are dressed up in this like hotel yeah. um conference room or whatever and it's like not actually fun or right. like exciting or does not mean good food it's just like i mean maybe there's like a styrofoam box full of like um like uh some kind of cheapo sushi roll which is still tasty but like um yeah it's and and then there's like entertainment which means that like everyone and literally and their brother is expected to like get up and sing a church song uh it's uh not fun and then you're like then you have to like rush home and do homework because it was like happened on a random tuesday and you have to go back to school the next day (laughs) so yeah that's uh that's a pretty good description (laughs) plus like probably your mom or someone in your family has been like at least one of you has been like volunteering all day to like clean up yeah oh so you might have to stay till the very end and then you steal one of the flower centerpieces because you're like i need to get something from this experience (laughs) steal as much as possible (laughs) oh my gosh yeah. So and what were we talking about? Lydia? I don't know. <laughs> Elizabeth. <laughs> Thinking about how Andrew, um, Andrew once went to pick up his mom from like a local church um, center because she was supposed to help clean out a room. This mm-hmm. was like years ago. And she was going to throw out these boxes of cassette tapes that were like recordings of some of these church holidays and other lectures. And he just picked up the box of cassette tapes and put them in his car. And sometimes we like listen to them because they're like crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And one of them is um, uh, I think it's Colonel Pock. And he's just like talking about how Oliver North is so great and how our church loves him and likes working with him. And it, oh my lord, it feels like very verging on the like maybe evidence of some kind of collusion with the Iran Contra scandal. But it's like, um, it's uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I listened to some recent podcasts about like some of this stuff, some of like the political ties and things. And I was just like, oh, this is great. I learned something new about my own childhood every day. I know. I really do like it when outsiders do research about the church. I feel like there's some there's just like a couple really good um, sources out there. But it, it feels like. 
It feels like looking, you know, when you look in, I forget what it's called, but you know, when you look in two mirrors at once, like, so you can mm-hmm. see the back of your hair or something, and then you yes. see yourself reflected and then reflected again. Yes. It feels like that when you're listening to outside people, because it's always like putting one more piece of the church puzzle together. Yeah. Where you've had like one piece of the information. Right. And then here comes another piece. Like, I just remember like my dad or like a lot of church dads, like going to South America for just for a couple weeks at a time in like the nineties. And like, maybe it also happened in the eighties and just being like, oh yeah, it's for like church providence reasons. And then you're like, oh, I don't know who was involved with what, like who was doing, thinking they were doing normal, just church activities of witnessing or right. like proselytizing to other people. And then like who was maybe involved with money laundering. <laughs> yeah. But uh, something was fishy was going on. And that makes a lot of sense. It no. really does. And I just feel like there's so many stories and I'm like, the church is so involved with politics. I feel like I'm like, this is going to be one of those stories that's been around for forever. And then it's going to become like a, uh, some kind of like bombshell report or uh, blockbuster, like New Yorker article or something. When, when the wider culture realizes how much shit our church has been up to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I was just talking to, um, a friend recently and coworker and like talking about my upbringing and he was like, yeah, I haven't like heard of the Moonies that much. He's like, they're pretty small now. Right. They're kind of like gone. And I was like, listen, (laughs) they own the new. And then I started talking about how, oh, he was like, where are, are they, are they like kind of, are they in like cities or are they still around? I was like, they're everywhere. I was like, they're in cities. I was like, they own the New Yorker. He's like, are they in New York? I was like, yeah, yeah, 43rd Street. Oh, yeah. And they own the New Yorker Hotel. And he's like, what? And the Hammerstein like, oh, Ballroom. The Hammerstein Ballroom. And I was like, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, the Washington Times newspaper. He was like, what? Like, it's minus full. And I'm like, oh, yeah, buddy. This is. And, and it's like, yeah, the Washington Times newspaper. Apparently, OAN yes. Network or whatever was started in the Washington Times building. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just like it. It might not be as many people as it used to be, but it's still fucking insidious and fucking shit up. Yeah, the the tentacles and the reach are just well embedded in yeah. our political system. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and I feel like a crazy um, conspiracy theorist when you bring it up to people, but you're like, but this is real. (laughs) It's a conspiracy theory that's real. Right. I know, I know. It's so strange. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, you're like, not all conspiracy theories are wrong. (laughs) Well, there are real conspiracies. Yes. Like, I see it like... This is totally different, but it's like the Tuskegee Airmen were like fighting for a while, being like, what is going on? And then finally everything hit the fan. And it just feels something like that, where it's like something's been there. There's 
there's been some shenanigans for a long time. And at some point, everything will come to light. I don't, I just, I don't know. Cause I feel like it's, it has so many times and yet it, the wheel still keeps turning. Right. Like, I, I feel like there's been exposés on certain things. There's been like news articles and yet it's like, eh. <laughs> I feel like it's been, like, bits and pieces, but I feel like someone needs to do, like, an overall, like, what this means kind of yeah. thing. Um, but, yeah, I yeah, I know. It, it also feels like something, like, the Scientologists had people, like, poking at them for, like, decades, and nothing was really sticking until, like, finally, it feels like a few years ago, things blew up in their faces. Right. So um, hopefully there'll be something like that with our church, too. But yet, you know, they're also still operating. They're still still, operating. There's this machine that's turning and just. Yeah. I think it takes. It just feels like before they were operating with impunity. And now it's like there's more recognition of how fucked up they are. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um. We're so far away from the Jane Austen. I swear she would approve of us, though. I think so. (laughs) This week's episode is brought to you by Lambton Carriage and Phaeton. Fancy a ride round the renowned Pemberley Estate? You'll look as charming as the scenery in a jaunty Phaeton with a couple ponies. Lambton Carriage and Phaeton, the best seat in Derbyshire. Did you have any lines that you loved this week? I mean, obviously you did, but which obviously ones were your I favorite? Did. Um, well, I loved, of course, I loved Mrs. Gardner's line about the uh, going around oh. the ponies, but I wanted to highlight this one. Which I have to give you credit because I feel like this line is a piece of evidence towards Elizabeth being a Ravenclaw, which I don't completely concede. I still think she's got more Gryffindor in it, but this is this is pure Ravenclaw behavior because when she's writing to Mrs. Gardner and, you know, she's basically saying like, like, please tell me, although if it's a secret, like I understand if you can't tell me, but then she goes, um, uh, oh, th- then I must endeavor to be satisfied with ignorance. Not that I shall, though, she added to herself as she finished the letter. And my dear aunt, if you do not tell me in an honorable manner, I shall certainly be reduced to tricks and stratagems to find it out. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this no matter what. She definitely, <laughs> yeah. Um, I do feel like I actually had the thought recently where I was like, she does have a lot of Gryffindor in her. I was like, she's not all Ravenclaw. So <laughs> she's a real toss up that lady. She is. Um, I, there were so many good lines, but I feel like my favorite might have come in the beginning where um, Lydia shows up and she's just acting so embarrassing. And Elizabeth. Um, and Elizabeth is just like so mortified on their behalf. And it Mm -hmm. says she, meaning Elizabeth, Elizabeth blushed and Jane blushed 
but the cheeks of the two who caused their confusion suffered no variation of color. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how does Jane Austen do it? She just like <laughs> tells you what's going on in just like four or five words. Yeah. It's great. Uh, have you been um, reading or watching or consuming anything, any other <laughs> cultural items lately? Um, I was trying to think about like what I should. Oh, you know what I wanted to highlight because it's not that long since we've talked before. So I'm still like in the middle of reading my Mary Bennett book. Um, but because I'm at uh, I work part time at a library now and one of the my favorite things about that is that I get to read picture books all the time because I do the story times. <laughs> so I read it. some I've read some amazing picture books that I recommend. Um Jacqueline Woodson has some beautiful, beautiful oh. picture books. I just I read um The Day You Begin for a Martin Luther King Jr. story time. Um and it's about, you know, being the different kid in school and uh, it's really good. I loved it. And then um, we just got this new book at the library, Out of a Jar by Deborah Marcero. I hope I'm saying her name right. And it's um, beautiful illustration. And it's all about like feelings and how, Ooh. you know, when you have a scary feeling, you tuck it away in a jar and you don't want to deal with it but then and you put it away in the closet and then your closet but then your closet gets too full and you can't and then they all make a bigger closet and you put it in right (laughs) this is a church way of a kid no but then the 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 uh eventually the closet bursts and they all come out and then you realize that it's okay to feel your feelings and when the feeling comes up you just feel it instead of trying to hide away from it and you can feel sadness and joy all at the same time and it's great and it's the illustrations are these beautiful like each feeling has like a color and so at the end you get this beautiful rainbow color and this is a book for children and I'm like all of the grown-ups need to read this because oh my god it's great (laughs) Um, read picture books everyone they're very it's very healing (laughs) that sounds wonderful except for that i i'm pretty sure we're just supposed to have all of our feelings in lock boxes (laughs) that we push away i think that's a great technique um and so she's wrong about that but i do like (laughs) picture books she's kidding uh, everybody she's kidding (laughs) one one uh one one thing that i really enjoy this sounds terrible but so I was an early reader, but my little brother had dyslexia. And mm-hmm. so he took a while to learn how to read. So I would always go and get picture books at the library so I could read to him. And I loved it because the librarians would be like, Akina, like you've like grown out of this section. What are you doing in here? Oh, no. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, this is for my brother. And then <laughs> but I was always so excited to like have that extra time. To read to him, to like yeah. look at the pictures with him. It was like I would have a word with those librarians. You're never I too know, old for picture right? books. <laughs> I mean, they also saw me getting out chapter books. I don't know why they had a stick up their butt about picture books too. They're like I love the ones with the really intricate illustrations of like the little bunnies that live in the tree or yeah. whatever. I cannot get enough of that. Y'all, if you're only getting like classic picture books like the ones that you remember as a child like you are missing out there are amazing illustrators and writers like 
currently writing picture doing picture books and they're yes. just gorgeous and they're wonderful and they're entertaining not just for the kids but for the adults as well like i highly recommend you check out the new picture books at your library also um the editor the book editor at the new york times used to be their children's book editor so like usually like every at least once a year they have a roundup of really in, like um in-depth roundup of all the best children's books and there's mm-hmm. some beautiful pictures that they reprint in the new york times book review just like that really always make me want to look up those books yeah. um uh i have um inspired by your talk you said you had been reading um the age of innocence i also got that out from the library although i'm still reading like the um introduction to Uh it um but that's because i've been watching the born identity movies (laughs) which are let me tell you so bad and i think even though i'm kind of an action movie like fiend um I somehow like missed all of them. Really? And they're yeah, they're bad. They're so bad. <laughs> the camera action is terrible. It's like it's a, it's like that classic let's have a fight scene but like yeah. let's um let's have really shaky camera work so we don't the audience doesn't know what's going on but they assume it's crazy. Yeah. And the whole time I've been watching them I just think Jackie Chan would have been much better at this he would have i just want everyone to imagine jackie chan as jason Bourne because Mm. he would have done all the stunts yeah he would have not had shaky camera work and then you would have had a blooper reel at the end and i (laughs) saw i feel like they should probably he should probably maybe remake these movies because you know they're gonna get remade because hollywood has like no good ideas so that's my pitch for today (laughs) remake uh the born identity with jackie chan yeah, Excellent. I've been well because like a few months ago, I think it was the Criterion Collection has yeah. some of the old Jackie Chan movies that like he yeah. first started directing and everything, and they're so good, so yeah. good. Um, I forget all the names of everything right now because my mind is just filled with born identity, born personality, born supremacy, whatever those <laughs> names are just googling them one after the other like they were really trying to be like mission impossible right oh yeah i remember like you know tom cruise does his own stunts yeah (laughs) but jackie chan does the best yeah stunts i mean he yeah uh so i feel like i've talked about this before but just like when shit hits the fan like right now there's like a war in ukraine then like that's when I get into my like shitty popcorn <laughs> consumption. And so nice. that's what what I've latched on for this this traumatic time period. <laughs> um okay, so next week we're doing 53 and 54 maybe. Yeah. 50 so 53. Yeah. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Hey, thanks for joining us again. Make sure to send us your feedback. Email at us, email us at Night at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter or uh, leave us a review if you want to say some nice things. We would love to hear from you. Uh, this podcast is produced by Laurel Nakai and the lovely artwork is by Akina Cox. And, uh, oh, the music is me. That's me. 
Bye. It makes no sense <laughs> the way it's pronounced. Okay. Oh, those British. Okay.